What's up everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Monday, July 11th, 2022. I'm your host Matt Norton here with co-host Giselle Herrera. Giselle, happy free small slurpy day from 7-Eleven. <laughs> oh, that's right, man. It's a national holiday. I'm happy. Do they still do that? Um, I think so. I don't know if I'm confusing it with where you have to like bring your own container and like people were bringing like KFC buckets to fill up with Slurpees. Yeah, so they used to do that. Uh, and then because of the exactly. situation we're talking about, 7-Eleven was like, no. So they started <laughs> doing 7.11 ounce oh, cups for free. Okay. But you could get as many as you want. Oh, all right. You just have to be able to carry it. So What a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, what a time to be alive. Seriously. Um, do we have any 7-Elevens by us? Probably. Oh, there's one... There's one like right in between our apartments, probably like ten blocks north. Of yeah, it. very. Maybe scattered. after this episode, we'll go. We'll go grab a Slurpee. I think that sounds like a great idea. And if we are so inclined to add anything to the Slurpees, we're adults. We can do that, and <laughs> you know, make uh, that Monday even better. Spiked Slurpees. If you're listening, go enjoy a, sl- a spiked Slurpee. <laughs> unless you are twenty-one, below twenty-one. Yes. Actually. All right. Let's get into the show. planet today we cover the latest in climate change wildlife conservation renewable energy and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way monday and friday and today is going to be a bonus quick hits episode because there were a lot of stories last week that fit into the category for us so let's get on to it the first one is by winston Choi chagrin who writes, California requires plastic makers to foot the bill for recycling for the New York Times. Love this move by California, which requires makers of packaging pay for recycling or reduce slash eliminate single-use plastic packaging altogether. This law is the fourth of its kind passed by a state, but it is the first to require that producers make less plastic and ensure that all single-use plastics are either recyclable or fully compostable. A direct quote from the law says, the cost of recycling infrastructure, recycling plants, and collection and sorting facilities will be shifted to packaging manufacturers and away from taxpayers who currently foot the bill. The law requires that all forms of single-use packaging, including papers and metals, be recyclable or compostable by 2032. Since plastic is the toughest to recycle, it's going to impact plastics the hardest. Yeah, this is, it's been time that we hear this kind of headline. And I think we're seeing it a lot more in, you know, commercials or a lot of uh, larger brands are doing this, but it's amazing to see that an entire state is making this push. And on top of Matt, what you were saying, California will also require a 25% reduction across all plastic packaging sold in the state. And this can include shampoo bottles, utensils, bubble wrap, 
go-to cups, any sort of 7-Eleven cup. Um, <laughs> and addressing plastic is important to protect the environment from pollution. We know this, but also from burning fossil fuels. Demand for plastic can support oil production, even as the world's energy systems transition away from oil. The Ocean Conservancy estimates that this new law can eliminate 23 million tons of plastic in the next 10 years. So, I mean, 23 million tons of anything. Mm -hmm. Reducing that is significant, especially when it's something like plastic that breaks down into microplastics. And before it does that, you know, we've all seen the photos of sea turtles that have straws through their nose, mm -hmm. fish that have swam through those six-pack container rings. So plastic in and of itself is a harmful item that can then erode and break down and become microplastic, which is a harmful item. Oh, and by the way, while it's being produced, it is composed of and powered by fossil fuels. So it is once again, a harmful process. Mm -hmm. So to cut away all of that is just absolutely wonderful. So under this California law, manufacturers would pay for recycling programs and will be charged fees based on the weight of the package, the ease of recycling, and whether products contain any sort of toxic substances like forever chemicals, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. They're called PFAs. So if you don't remember that, just look up PFAs. They are uh, pretty terrible, but pretty interesting to research. Yeah, and going back to what you were saying, Matt, in terms of like all the negative impacts when plastics are introduced to these ecosystems, thinking about um, and on top of these forever chemicals that are made to that are used to produce them, mm -hmm. it's you have to think like also all the plastics that are like slowly degrading in oceans that are like leaching off these chemicals too. So it's like there's you're getting it from so many different directions. Yeah, some analysts also suggest that this could have nationwide implications because producers don't create things just for one state. California has the largest economy of any state and is a major contributor to the global economy. So it's possible that this will change plastic production throughout the United States. Recycling advocates added that they hoped this law would lead to innovation. And the article suggests refill stations for things like detergents or beverages. And personally, I think that's a really cool idea. So. I would be way more inclined to buy somewhere. You just buy a container and then you go and, and fill it up. And who knows? Like maybe that's the future. If we're going to start to strip away what kind of single use plastics we, we end up using. Mm -hmm. So I'm also curious which plastics are just going to be stopped altogether. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way styrofoam is made to be more recyclable, right? It's, it's the worst. Yeah, so. I truly don't understand why styrofoam is being used in this day it's and cheap. age. It's cheap. That's Fair. all it is. But like styrofoam cups, there have been so many studies that have found in a lot of like rivers, streams at like yeah. the local level that like the number one polluter is like is uh, styrofoam. So yeah. it's it's because it's the least recyclable as well. Right. So even if you're doing everything right, it's probably still going to end up in a stream. Yeah. Being eaten by some animal that eventually right. gets eaten by some animal that eventually maybe gets eaten by us. Right. So. Yeah, I'm I'm anti-styrofoam. I'm anti-plastics to begin with, but like mostly styrofoam. For sure. And wondering about like which plastics are going to stop being used. It's like I think it's just all about ingenuity and finding these alternative uh you know solutions to things that we're so ingrained to using like yeah. um like what material we use our cups, we use for our cups or 
you know, I just saw like, um, I think it was like Coors is doing this big campaign, which is great about not using the um, plastic can connectors. I don't even know what they're called. Oh, the little six pack ring yes. things on top. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So now they're using, um, uh, I think recycled paper like the rest of uh, of a six pack like container. Nice. So um, yeah, it's like those kind of trailblazers that make it normalized for a lot of other companies or industries, so. Yeah. All right, our next one is another win in the fight against plastics. Canada is banning the sale, production, and import of some single-use plastics by Igor Bonifacic of Engadget. Canada is banning the production and importing of some single-use plastics, such as shopping bags, takeout containers, straws, utensils, and six-pack rings, hey, by the end of this year. The items will no longer be able to be sold starting in 2023, and an export ban will begin in 2025, so pretty soon. Mm -hmm. The gaps between the different levels of the ban are so Canadian businesses will have time to phase out the items, which is really important to consider. Uh, for some long-term success in in something like this. Mm -hmm. Over the next 10 years, the federal government estimates the new regulation will eliminate approximately 1.3 million tons of plastic waste, according to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Yeah, so that's a good point that you brought up about why phasing out is, is important. You don't want to tank an economy, and right now plastic is so ingrained in our economy, so... Trudeau is, is making an objectively good decision here. He would lose a lot of support sure. if someone said, you know, by tomorrow you got to do this. And all of a sudden, all these local stores that rely on plastics, they're out of business. So it's definitely good to give that gap here. And I know that environmentalists are going to say, why not just do it now? We do have to consider the societal effects of this. So And reality. Yeah, I, th I yeah, think this is good. Yeah, yeah. Like in a, in a perfect world. You're, you're right. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this isn't a perfect world, and we have to play mm -hmm. by those rules. So, yeah, this is this is good. Um, 1.3 million tons of plastic waste is not as much as the California law that we just spoke about, but this also has a much smaller scope. Environmentalists were a little less than thrilled by Canada not including plastic fishing nets and lines in this ban. So 640 thousand tons of plastic fishing nets are discarded every year which has more of an impact than straws than shopping bags mm -hmm. than utensils so a lot of environmentalists were hoping that that was going to get included mm -hmm. the article closes out by reminding readers that in march the united nations agreed to begin work on a first ever global plastic pollution treaty the agreement won't be complete until 2024 at the earliest, but it could be among the most significant efforts to curb climate change since the Paris Agreement back in 2015. That agreement also has its own issues, though, as countries like the U.S. and Japan objected to some of the language used in early drafts, while developing nations have stressed the need for major producers to be involved and, you know, foot the bill. Yeah, which is which is key because we've kind of had our, our day in the sun. Like we as the, the global industrial north have profited off of plastics, have profited off of big oil. So I think it's totally fair for developing nations to say, hey, we're all going to do this, but you need to foot more of the bill mm -hmm. because you made more money off of the thing that caused mm -hmm. this issue. And we're being impacted way more. Yeah, exactly. So I, I get it. Um, and I, I hope that 
whenever this treaty comes out, hopefully 2024, like we said, but probably a little bit longer than that. I hope it's this big sweeping gesture that creates a solution to the global plastic problem, regardless of the actual cost of it, because whatever that cost is, is going to pale in comparison to the cost of plastic cleanup and all the environmental harm that is happening because of our plastic use. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen this um, in a, at like the local scale, especially within the United States where, mm-hmm. okay, we're phasing out plastic bags or imposing a tax. Uh, I feel like we've tried a lot of, or there have been a lot of like alternative solutions to using more plastics in our daily lives. But yeah, it, it'll be nice to see kind of this like much larger action taking place. Hopefully more people, you know, pick up on that, uh, on that momentum. That trend. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's definitely easier to say you can still use your plastics, they're just going to cost more. But it's, it's a lot more impactful to just ban them out, exactly. right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, there's going to be people who are like, this sucks, that costs more, I'm still using it. Exactly, them. yeah, it's so ingrained. So, yeah, having this, like, much more kind of larger action taking place where it's just not even factoring into the yeah not even factoring into the equation is is really cool to see it's the opposite of uh if you build it they will come it's like if you ban it people are just gonna stop buying plastics Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right my first spiked 7-eleven slushy is empty so we're gonna take a quick break (laughs) go get a refill and we'll be back in 7.11 seconds (laughs) oh god see ya Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. to the planet today everybody next up a wildlife conservation society wcs news release out of bengaluru india it's a new study that documents the extent of plastic ingestion as an emerging threat to the endangered asian elephants in uttarakhand india this news release was based off of a journal article that was published in the journal for nature conservation by Catlam et al 
First off, it's important to know what the Asian elephant diet is normally, now that we already know that, you know, a large amount of it currently is plastics, unfortunately. So normally their diet is wild grasses, fruits, roots, and tree bark that they find in forested areas in India and nearby. But with increasing forest fragmentation, they have been found to venture off and go to nearby human settlements to feed on crops, which is another large part of their diet, especially Mm -hmm. more recently. It's also been found that Asian elephants end up foraging around garbage dumps that have been accumulating around these fragmented forest edges. Researchers collected elephant dung, sampled in and around the forested landscapes of Uttarakhand, and were able to confirm for the first time, scientifically, the presence of a large amount of plastic and other human-generated waste in the diet of Asian elephants. Matt, what do you think they found in some of these samples? Probably, I'm going to guess microplastics were found, and I'm going to guess that some of the food that they ingested had plastic debris mm-hmm. mixed in there somehow, but I don't know. I would also guess like smaller plastic items, like maybe, I don't know, like plastic sandwich bags probably because they're small and probably blend in with some of the stuff. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah, that's what... I'm, I'm locking in with that, especially <laughs> because you already said yeah. <laughs> what is uh, plastic sandwich bags? What are... Yeah, I mean, what they found was pretty shocking. Things like plastic cutlery, food containers, polythene bags, and almost under, like, not even conceivable, like, metal wires were found in their diet. Yeah, so a little bit of everything, unfortunately. Um, Dr. Catlim, an ecologist and the lead author on the study, says that ingested plastic may leach toxic chemicals such as phthalates in in the elephant's gut and may affect their reproductive system with potential impacts to their survival rates and population size. So not only is this plastic harming the individual elephant, but, you know, future generations. Mm -hmm. The study also found that the samples collected from inside the forest contained twice the amount of plastic particles versus the samples collected on the forest edges. And remember that these particles might enter the food chain through species that consume elephant dung, so usually smaller species that live, you know, in the same ecosystem. And as you can imagine, this can hurt those species and the environment. We know the effects plastic pollution has on marine ecosystems, uh, but only recently are we seeing the impact of plastic pollution on terrestrial or land animals yeah and and you brought up elephant dung something that i just kind of thought of is elephant dung is a really good fertilizer and i know a lot of plants will kind of sprout up through that Mm -hmm. so normally under their their typical diet there's a lot of nutrients in elephant dung that helps plants grow but in this case you're probably going to see plants growing less successfully yeah because of the plastics and when they do grow and then animals come and eat those plants, there's probably trace amounts of plastics in those plants. So someone can fact check me on that. That's kind of just my initial thoughts. Uh, it sounds right to me, though. <laughs> so moving back to elephants and, and moving away from elephant dung, Asian elephants are considered endangered on the IUCN red list because of habitat degradation, 
habitat loss, habitat fragmentation, and human interaction. So now plastic pollution and its impacts might be new threats we have to consider in conservation of these animals, which I will add are my favorite animals. Absolutely, I, I definitely remember that. And manatees. I do love manatees, which I do are love related. cows. Are you, are you sensing a trend here? I love yes. big fat mammals. <laughs> Save the big fat mammals. Yeah, there are some solutions to this growing issue that researchers brought up in this article. Dr. Pandey, a co-author on the paper, says human habitations around these natural habitats that are frequented by the Asian elephant need a solid waste management strategy and a comprehensive one to address this problem. This involves sorting waste, mapping of garbage dumps, and better understanding the risk to wildlife. Mass awareness campaigns to educate the public on negative impacts of plastic pollution are also incredibly important. WCS, who was the source to provide this news article, did a really big um, plastics campaign centered around minimizing plastic straws, where they partnered with a ton of Manhattan restaurants to use uh, paper straws. And this was probably like four years ago, maybe even more than that, and was really successful, definitely got a lot of buzz around it. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how we involve these communities, how scientists involve these communities in this effort, mm -hmm. because that's, as we know, in so many of these stories, that's probably the most important thing to consider is how do we have long term sustainable solutions that also loop in the communities. Yeah, exactly. Uh, closing thought, save the elephants. Save the big fat animals. <laughs> big fat mammals, baby. Big fat mammals. <laughs> Our last quick hit of the week is from the Associated Press where Paolo Santalucia writes, rice fields dry up as Italy's drought lingers on. Italy is currently experiencing its worst drought in 70 years, which is leaving rice paddy fields in the Po River Valley underwatered. Farmers are extremely worried about what this is gonna do for the premium rice grown there and ultimately used for risotto. The Po is the largest river in Italy and the lack of rainfall has begun to turn it into a dry swale of sand. The Lomolino rice flats between the Po River and the Alps have not received enough water to flood the rice paddies because of this. So the fields are supposed to be flooded with two to five centimeters, which is 0.8 to 2 inches of water, according to rice farmer Giovanni Daghetta. He said that now the paddies are basically on a sandy beach. Farmers in Montara, Italy, have been producing arborio rice for hundreds of years, which is a great rice to use for risotto. But this year, 90% of those plants are fully wow. dried, according to Daghetta. He added that the remaining 10% are desperately in need of being submerged in water. That's wild. How it's much. alarming. Yeah. The article says, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, drought stress is the most damaging factor for rice, especially in the early stages of its growth. Heat waves like those that are hitting Italy with peaks of 40 degrees Celsius or 104 degrees Fahrenheit can significantly reduce the yield of surviving rice. Drought has pushed several governors of Italy to declare a state of emergency in order to conserve water in their regions. 
So the region's main water sources, the rivers Po and Dora Baltia, are eight times lower than the average seasonal levels right now, according to the West Sessia Irrigation Association. Milan's mayor signed an ordinance in late June for the city to shut off decorative water fountains just to save water. So mm. this isn't just impacting food here. Like, this is impacting Italian culture. Yeah, even, like, their tourism, potentially. Yeah. You go you go to Milano, you want to see the fountains. Yep. <laughs> I'm just thinking of, like, the Lizzie McGuire movie. And it's like, you will not have that same experience because of this. You will not find Paolo because of the lack of risotto. We'll find uh, Paolo uh, Santa Lucia, but not Paolo of, of the Lizzie McGuire. Of Santa Paolo fam. <laughs> And water rights issues have also been on the rise as farmers and hydroelectric plants along the river are arguing over who should get access to the water that remains. Santa Lucia writes, Italy's drought is threatening some 3 billion euros or $3.1 billion in agriculture, an Italian farm lobby said this week. Italy's Confederation of Agricultural Producers estimates the loss of 30 to 40 percent of the seasonal harvest. Yeah, and experts are also worried that this could turn into more serious conflicts if Italy's empty water reservoirs are not refilled by rainfall soon. Scattered rainfall hit certain regions later last week, but most areas continued to stay dry. So, look, this is deeply concerning on a number of levels. We talked a little bit about culture. We're talking about 30 to 40 percent lower crop yield for something that it's rice it's a staple of a lot of different dishes like people rely on rice this is concerning and and what's ultimately the most concerning for me is like this is just a glimpse into the future this is what things are going to continue to look like under climate change and you know sometimes it takes people getting impacted at home for them to care and and you almost hope that this is the wake-up call that Mm -hmm. certain anti-environmental leaders need you know once the food that they eat starts to change maybe that's that that nudge in the right direction yeah it's also really shocking that we have these two like parties that are arguing about the water that's remaining in Mm -hmm. in um these regions like the farmers versus the hydroelectric plants like this is gonna like you were saying become more and more common which is really terrifying like the fact that we're gonna have to choose oh do we feed large numbers of people do we provide this energy that they need like this is we shouldn't have to be making these decisions like this should be you know thinking ahead about what our impact has on so many different areas so many different fields um that impact our daily lives yeah and and you know luckily this isn't something that will impact every everyone the way that it's impacting Italy right now because something I didn't realize is that Italy is notorious for having awful water infrastructure yeah and the research that I was reading about it estimated that 42 percent of all drinking water every year is wasted Mm. so because their pipes are old and not well maintained that's leading me to believe that with less water usage through updating their infrastructure maybe less water will be used from the source and more gets into these rice fields moving forward. But unfortunately that's something that's going to have to get corrected and and that's not going to happen this year. So this year is going to be a a shorter crop yield for them, which sucks, but you know, hopefully it's less harsh once that infrastructure can get updated. Mm -hmm. 
All right, that will do it for today's episode of TPT. Nick and I are going to be back on Friday for some quick hits, and you can make sure to follow us on our socials at Planet Today Pod for more TPT until then. For the Planet Today, I'm Matt Norton. And Giselle Herrera here. See you on Friday. See y'all.